0: Yes, thank you. I thought it was. Okay. Is that better? Okay. Let me try that again. Happy Father's Day. I apologize. Uh, listen, I want to take a moment and recognize you dads. If, if you're a father, grandfather, or if you uh, uh, have been a spiritual mentor, a spiritual dad to somebody else, would you take a moment and just stand up one more time? Go ahead and stand up. Can we give these gentlemen a big hand, please? Thank you. I want to wish you all a very happy Father's Day. You may be seated. I want to wish my dad a happy Father's Day as well. Uh, he'll probably be watching this a little bit later online. Uh, welcome to you all who are watching on, uh, on our live stream as well. Um, I want to take a moment before we get into what we're going to be talking about this morning and announce a couple of dates that you might want to write down. This next coming week, we're going to be resuming our discipleship series, uh, the trainings that we talked about, if you remember several, a uh, few months ago, not several months ago, a few months ago, we talked about Upreach, InReach, OutReach, and how we're going to be doing workshops in each of those. We're going to be resuming our Upreach workshops on the spiritual disciplines of, of seeking God with your whole heart. So coming up this Thursday, June 23rd, uh, from 6 to 7.30, we'll be meeting right here in the auditorium. And then the following Sunday, next Sunday, June 26th, from one thirty to 3.00. And uh, just a little recap for those of you who might not remember, what is this about? This is about intentionally seeking the Lord with your whole heart. The Bible tells us in in His Word that if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll what? You'll find me. You'll find me. And so this is about quiet time. This is about intentional um, quietness before the Lord, seeking the Lord's voice, learning how to walk in God's Holy Spirit, learning how to hear God's voice for your life, Um, These are just some of the things that we're going to be doing uh, intensively, hopefully over the next four weeks. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, then please um, see me, let me know, or just show up on Thursday, June 23rd. Anybody ever seen this movie? This is an old one. Um, A long time ago, 1994, there was a a movie that came out uh, called Angels in the Outfield. uh Uh-oh, a little reverb there, Alan. Um, At the time, it had a whole lot of actors in it that um, are quite popular today, but back then they were just getting their start. Some names that you might recognize, uh, a very young Matthew McConaughey is actually in this movie. Um, Adrian Brody. Um, Also, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in this movie as well. He's very, very young uh, right when it starts. Now, uh, just to kind of give you a little flavor of the movie, the movie starts out and it introduces us to two young boys and these two young boys are orphans. And they're growing up in this little orphanage house, and one is named Roger, and the other one is a P. And they're growing up in this little, um, again, this orphanage in Anaheim, California, in a foster home, and they're, they're under the care of this sweet woman who's over the house, whose name is Maggie. Now, Roger uh, doesn't know his dad very much, but every now and then his dad pops in and Kind of makes a few empty promises to him. But as the movie starts, his dad shows up. And he's just so excited to see his dad. He's shocked to see his father. And he gets his hopes up. And he starts thinking, well, maybe today, you know, dad's going to take me home. Maybe we get to go home and be a family. And so the, the scene begins. And so his father is is leaving. And he's, he's getting on his motorcycle. He's about to ride off. And, and um, uh, Roger's just got tears coming down his face. And he's, he's looking at his dad. And he says, Dad, when do you think that we'll be able to be a family again? And um, he looks at his son and he takes his cigarette that he had in his hand and he flicks the cigarette on the ground and he says these words. He says, well, son, from where I'm sitting, when the angels win the pennant. Now, the angels were the local baseball team. Right? And Roger and AP, this is where they love to hang out. They love to go to all the Angels games. But the problem with the Angels is that they were not good. Uh, they were really, really, really bad. Um, they were um, last place for a long time. And so, in other words, when the father is, is sitting there and he's saying this, what he's saying to his little boy is probably not going to happen when the Angels win the pennant. And so he goes home that night, this little boy, Roger, and he doesn't lose hope. He goes to his bedroom, he looks out his window, and he says, for the first time in his life, a prayer. He says, God, if there is a God, he says, God, I would really, really like a family. My dad says that that can only happen if the angels win the pennant. So, God, could you help the angels a little? Could you help the angels win some games? You know, Roger's not alone in that prayer. According to the U.S. Department of Census, it tells us that 43% of children in the United States live without a father. That's a really tough statistic to wrestle with. And considering the fact that most... uh, half of all men have grown up without dads in their life, and I'm one of those. I didn't have my father while I was growing up, but, but considering the fact that half of all of us out there, half of all of us inside this room did not grow up with a father, sometimes it can be really hard relating to the concept of a loving father. And for those of you who have experienced this, and, and I experienced this too growing up, some of you have lost your dad's Um, Some of you have had abusive fathers. Uh, Some of you, many of you, have had dads who just wasn't there. They were either physically absent, emotionally absent, or or both. Um, Some of you have lost your father. Some of you are in the process of losing your dads right now. So I say all that to say, whenever it comes to, like I did a few weeks ago, with a Mother's Day sermon or a Father's Day sermon, sometimes it can be a little difficult doing a sermon like this because of where everyone is who's listening. But what we want to do this morning is we want to, to recognize and understand that Father's Day can present a lot of challenges to us as dads because of the emotions and because of the things associated with it. But we want to honor you today. Now, here's the good news. The good news is, I, I don't know who it was, uh, Mrs. Boyd, maybe you said it earlier, but, but uh, the good news is, is that we have a Father who lives in heaven. And that's one of the things that I struggled with. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't have a father to, to show me all the ins and outs. I didn't know how to change tires. I didn't know how to check the oil. You know, I remember my best friend that I met 20 years ago taught me how to throw a football. I throw a, It was so bad. When I was a kid, see, I grew up with my great-grandmother. And, and by the time I was 12, I could needlepoint like the best of them, but I couldn't throw a football for nothing. So when you grow up without a dad, you're a little socially awkward. And that's kind of how I was for... Uh, a long time. But here's the good news. The good news is that even though sometimes we grow up without the dads that we we wanted, we have a father in heaven who knows how to re-father us into his image. And that's what I want to go with this morning. The Bible that you've got in your hands, I want to hold it up right now. Hold up your Bibles if you've got them. The Bible that you have in your hands, some of you, it, it looks like leather and you've got pages. Some of you have your cell phones up now. Thank you, Brother Boyd. Okay, that Bible that you've got in your hands, the primary reason why that book was written was so that you would have the opportunity to get to know your Father. Did you realize that? God wants you to get to know Him, and He wants you to relate to Him as your Creator, as our Father who is in heaven. So I want to ask you guys this question. You know that prayer that Jesus prays when Jesus come to him, when His disciples come to Him and says, Hey, listen, we want you to teach us how to pray. He begins and says, Our Father in heaven. Let me ask you guys a question this morning. What does it mean to call God your Father? What does it mean to call God your father. What is that relationship like? I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I want to read these verses because I think these verses are going to give us a little insight, just four verses in what it means to call God Father. Now, this is the Lord's Prayer. It's a little bit longer in Matthew's recollection of the story of Jesus. Luke's is a little bit shorter, but Luke says things a little bit differently, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. So, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, listen, we've heard you pray. We want you to teach us how to pray. Now, these are Jewish boys, right? Right? They've gone to synagogue their whole life. These guys know how to pray. So the issue is not that they don't know how to pray. The thing is, is that they want to learn how to pray like Jesus, (laughs) right? I mean, when you watch Jesus and you see what he does when he prays, when he prays, things happen, right? Okay. So the disciples were like, listen, we've been hearing prayers our whole life. We've been listening to the Pharisees every single Sabbath day, But, but you're different. When you pray, things happen. So will you teach us how to pray like you? I want you to begin with me and let's Let's see how Jesus teaches them to pray in Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. A little bit more short, a little bit more punctual than the one that you see in the, the gospel of Matthew. But I want you to notice, if you break this prayer down into its individual elements, when Jesus says, when you have an intimacy with the Father, the first thing that I want you to notice is, He says, I want you to call Him Father. If you're taking notes, to jot, I want you to jot these notes down right here. The first thing is, is I want you to call him Father. You know why that's important? You know, we tend to think that in the first century that everybody went around calling God Abba. That's not true. In the first century, it's actually very unique to Jesus to call him Father. There were other titles that were used every Shabbat. They used Adonai. They called him Adonai, Lord. They called him Hashem, the name, um, They called him all these different names. They called him Elohim. They called him God, El, God. But you didn't hear the word Abba, Papa, Daddy. And so Jesus right here at the very beginning is inviting his disciples to experience a deeper kind of relationship with God than maybe that they've ever experienced before in their life. A more intimate kind of relationship than they're used to experiencing. You know, one of the most beautiful aspects of the new covenant that you and I get to be a part of is simply this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. But see, that's not the end of itself. It's a means to an end. The reason why Jesus came to wash away all of your sins is because the Bible says that sin is a barrier between you and God. It's the thing that gets in the way of your relationship. So Jesus dies for you, his sin washes away, or excuse me, his blood washes away all of your sin, and guess what that does? That creates then an environment of peace between you and God that allows you to have intimacy with him. That bridge that goes from being a sinner to a son is the difference between you getting to call him God and Father. Does that make sense? It's a change in the relationship. I like how J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, he said it like this. He says, if you want to judge how well someone understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. In other words, the very center of Christianity is the work that Jesus on the cross so that Jesus could then bring about the goal of the cross and that's reconciliation with God so that you can call God Father. So the first thing we need to remember in this, point number one, is that God is our Father. I love what Rick said a moment ago during the Lord's Supper is that we focus so much on our sin that we, we, we fail to see the grace in what God has accomplished for us. And we have to relate with him in that way. We have to keep on looking at what he's done, not what we've done, but what he's done, so that we can have peace in that relationship. Okay? Um, so point number one this morning is simply this. God is our Father. In Christ, we have a very new and unique relationship with God. Now, the second thing he says in the prayer is hallowed, be thy name. Now that's the way I memorized it. I memorized it on the old King James, right? Um, And whenever I quote it, that's, it's like I revert to the King James because that's the way I memorized it. But what does it mean to hallow his name? The word hallow means holy. And so when you consider the name of God to be holy, what that means literally is, it means to consider something to be worthy of great respect. It means to ascribe holiness to the name of the Father. It means to lift up our Father's name in our hearts as being worthy of the greatest respect. And so Jesus is saying right here at the very beginning of our prayer that one of the things that we have to realize is that as we have this intimate relationship with the Father in heaven, we have to remember that we are in a relationship with the Creator of heaven and earth. And with that comes a healthy amount of respect. So the first two things... In this brand new relationship with God is, number one, you have gone from being a slave to a son. You can call God Father, but as you call Him Father, remember, He's the creator of the universe. So as you approach Him as you Father, you approach Him in awe. You approach Him in respect. Can we amen together so far? Okay. So the first lesson that we need to hold is that Jesus teaches us that as God's children, we need to hold God, our Father, in the greatest respect. You know, the stats tell us 68 million, um, 68%, excuse me, 68% of the American people, 270 million people in the United States claim to have a relationship with God. 68%. I don't believe that. Because when you look around and you see our culture, you look around and you see the fighting, you see the divisions, you see the immorality. I don't see it. Um, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I'm, not, um, I'm not trying to disparage things, but you look at the condition of where our, 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 our country is and where we are. I just don't see a lot of people who hold God with highest respect in their hearts. Does that make sense? I just don't see it. Men, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Dads, let me ask you a question. When you've got the respect of your kids at home, that's, that's amazing to you, isn't it? When you have the respect of your children at home, it's incredible to you. It, it, it makes you feel like you've accomplished something as a dad because you have the respect of your kids. Well, listen, let me tell you something. Here's what's incredible. As dads, we have been given a unique role in our families to be the practice ground for our children. Did you know that? Now, listen, I know, like I said, half, half, half homes don't even have dads. So, moms, if you're playing the role of the dad in the house, this applies just as much to you as it does to the dad, okay? But primarily, I'm talking to the fathers because God has given you this role. Listen, let me put it to you this way. The children learn respect for, of God by learning how to respect you. Does that make sense? Now, how do you get the respect of your kids? That's a hard one. That's a moving target sometimes depending on the kid. But listen to me. The respect of the kids comes not from a parent being overbearing. It's not about commanding respect. I'm your dad. You do it as I say. It's not that you command respect. It's that you earn respect by the godly life that you live by example in front of your children. Because over time your kids look at you and they realize, wait a minute, he doesn't just say what he says. He actually lives what he says. Okay? That's how you earn the respect of your kids. One of our most primary roles in our relationship is to train up our children the best way that we can. Why? Because one day there's going to be a handoff. And fathers, we are in the role that God has called us to be, to be the ones to to let our kids practice on us, learn respect of God through us, so that one day we can hand off to God. And so that they can learn, they can respect their father in heaven. One day they too will be able to sit at their own table with their own children and be able to bow their own heads and say from their own heart, our Father who art in heaven. Holy, holy is your name. Don't you want your kids to say that one day? That's our job. Okay, so point number two this morning, our Father expects respect. Now the third one, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Now, We know what that means, right? Daily bread just means your daily necessity. It means that God loves you enough that he wants to provide for you. Now, here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have a Father in heaven who loves you so much that his desire is to provide for you? That's his heart towards you. And by the way, one thing I want to point out here is that bread oftentimes in Scripture has to do with food, but also bread is another picture and image for our spiritual sustenance. And, Father, it's one of the most primary things that we've been given a task to do is not only provide for our family financially. And, again, I realize we're living in a modern world. It's not just the dads that are out there working, bringing home the bacon anymore. It's the moms, too. So this applies in all directions. But but, but it's our job to provide not only bread on the table, but also spiritual bread for the nourishment of their spiritual souls. Jesus illustrates this for us just a few verses later. He's talking again about prayer, and I love what he says. He says, which of you fathers, this is the same context, just a few verses later, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? So if you then, though you are evil, meaning what in comparison to God, right? Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. I love that because Jesus is telling us here that our God, our father, is a loving and giving father. And he gives us not only what we need as far as our daily necessities to sustain our daily bodily existence, but he also gives us himself. He gives us his life so that he can impart to us life through his spirit, so he can sustain us spiritually as well. Again, same way. Dads, we have the same opportunity, don't we? Mom and dad, we go out there, we work. Sometimes it takes two jobs. Sometimes mom and dad's out there working two, three jobs or more to put dinner on the table, to put food on the table. But more importantly than that, what are we feeding our kids spiritually? Are we giving spiritual nourishment to our children at home? So my point is, we have a special honor to learn something about the heart of God when it comes to these things because He wants us to be able to share with our kids. The reason why you have been given more is so that you have enough to share, right? Okay. He then says in the passage, in the prayer, forgive us of our sins. You know, I was thinking about this this week. To forgive somebody, to forgive a child when they've done something wrong... Communicate something very important to that child. When you have a child and has done something wrong and, and there has been a breach in the relationship, there's been some, some feelings that have kind of been drummed up between you and your child, to forgive a child is to say this. I want you to feel at peace in this relationship. That's what forgiveness is, isn't it? I want you to feel peace in this relationship. I want you to flourish in this relationship. See, this is why just four chapters earlier in Luke, when, when Jesus was reclining at the table, when he was eating with the Pharisee, remember the woman who came in and just kind of barged in uninvited? The Bible says that she came over and she had that alabaster jar and she opened it and she poured it all over the feet of Jesus. It was really, really expensive stuff. And it says that she was crying and and her tears were going over his feet and she took her hair and she was using her hair like a rag just to wipe his feet. And do you remember after all of this? Now, why is she doing that? She's doing that because she feels the guilt and the conviction of her sin. She knows that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. She knows that He's the one that has the answer. And when Jesus looks at this woman, do you remember what He says to her? He says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, why does Jesus do that? He does that because He knows that without forgiveness, you can never have peace in the relationship. Listen, if you have not come to know that God wants to and is eager to forgive you, you'll never have peace in your life. You'll never have peace in your life. See, the Bible goes on to say in Romans, it says that it's when we have that sin consciousness that Rick talked about earlier, when we're always constantly thinking about sin, when we're always constantly thinking that in our relationship with God, that God is just so annoyed with us and he's angry at us. When you live like that, when you live feeling as though you're unforgiven, you can't have peace. Well, guess what? If you don't have peace in your life, then what do you do? You spend the rest of your life trying to medicate that peace. Or medicate that, that, that pain that you have so you can try to feel a little sense of peace. And that's why so many people live in, 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 in horrible relationships and drugs and in, in get into all kinds of things. Because they don't feel peace with God. And when it comes to, to parenting, and, and this is something that my wife and I have to remind ourselves of uh, almost daily. And that is that our children need to know they are forgiven when they make mistakes. They need to know that they are forgiven when they make mistakes. They need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they are accepted, that there is peace, that they are okay. They're okay in the relationship. And parents, sometimes we need to work on forgiving, don't we? You know, sometimes our kids can do stuff and it can make us really upset. And if we're not careful, you know, let's be honest. We can build up resentments in our hearts toward our own children. Um... We need to remember how our Father treats us. Who is it, Rick? You said as far as the east is from the west, right? As far as the east is from the west. We need to remember, like it says in Lamentations. Lamentations, if I can get the thing to move forward. There we go. Lamentations chapter 3, 23 through through 22, 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And how great is your faithfulness. So just as you and I receive daily forgiveness from our Father, we have been tasked to do the same thing for our kids as well. Offer them forgiveness so that they can feel peace in the relationship at home. So number four this morning, our Father offers us peace in the relationship. And then finally, number five, the Bible says, lead us not into temptation. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 13, it says... When tempted, nobody should say, God is tempting me. Because God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anybody. So I want to say here, right at the outset, Jesus is not saying that God leads us into temptation. That's not what Jesus is saying in the prayer at all. So what is he saying? Here's what I think Jesus is saying Lead us not into temptation means, Lord, provide for us an alternative path. You know the path of the enemy. You know that he wants to still kill, and destroy everything. And you know that if I'm on that path, that it will lead to that destruction. So lead us into other paths. David said in Psalm 23, lead us under paths of righteousness for your name's sake, you see. So take us down an alternate path than the one that the evil one has provided for us. The idea is, Lord, you are the way. You're the truth. You're the life. You're the direction I need to go in. So help us to keep our way by not falling into t- temptation, by not... By not engaging in the world, by keeping our eyes on you instead of of the world. And dads, listen up. You and I have been given, again, this special opportunity when it comes to our kids. Why? Because you and I have the option, the ability, the blessing to look at our kids and to see the path that they're on. We have the ability, because you and I have have hopefully had experience with God. We've gone through our own struggles. We've done some things that we shouldn't have done. We've learned some life lessons. And when we look at the life of our kids, we have the ability to say, okay, no, not that path. Get off that one. Get, Get on this path over here. We have the ability as parents to guide them on righteous paths. In other words, do you realize we get to be like God to our kids? That's powerful if you think about it. Because we can be like God to our kids in a positive way, and we can also be like God to our kids in a very negative way, right? See, that's what God does for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, When you are tempted, God will provide a way out so that you can endure it. A good father will be involved with his kids' lives and help keep them away from temptations. And offer them positive directions to go. Alternative directions to go. So point number five this morning. And I love this. It's so good to be a child of God. You know why? Because our Father always outsmarts the enemy. He leads us on, ra- on righteous paths. Lead us not into temptation. He knows how to get us off the path that leads us to temptation. And give us a way of escape. So five things this morning. Very simple, very powerful, incredibly rich prayer from a son to his father. A model prayer that represents the kind of life that you and I are to have. Now, I want to show you something that's really interesting with this. As we partner with God, and I'm going to talk to the dads for just a moment. As we partner with God in raising our children, and by the way, that's what God has called us to be as dads and moms, but we're partnering with God to raise up the next generation how incredible it is. Did you notice that when you have God as your father and you respect him and give him the place in your heart, and your life, that ne- where it needs to be, did you notice that point number three, four, and five all flow out of the relationship that you have with, fa- with the father? Because... Our Father enjoys giving us life. That comes from relationship. The Father offers us peace in the relationship. That's about the relationship. He outsmarts the enemy. That's part of the relationship. See, here's the thing. You and I get the privilege, dads. We get the privilege to stand up and be men of God and not only, number one, model God the Father for our kids... Number two, train them in the way of respect so that they will learn to respect authority and later respect God. Number three, we get to enjoy the privilege of giving life to our children as we watch out for their lives. Number four, as we father them, we get to father them in such a way that it creates peace in their life so they don't live chaotic lives on the inside, that they realize that they're okay and that they have a God who loves them. And finally, we do all this as we help God outsmart the enemy's plans for our kids' lives so that we can help to give them a hope and a future. Amen. We're going to stop right here. But you know what? I know everybody in this room is wondering about Roger and AP, aren't you? I wasn't even thinking about it Tim T said something. Roger and AP, at the beginning of our story, uh, sermon time this morning, the kid that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, his prayer, by the way, he sat down and he said, Lord, if you could just help the angels win the pennant see my daddy again did you know God answered his prayer in the movie as you keep watching it God answers Roger's prayer he sends angels real ones Uh, Christopher Lloyd is one of them (laughs) some of you'll think about that in a minute Um, Thought that was pretty funny both of you thought so too and as, as the wins, they start winning games. And these wins start piling up. And, and Roger and AP, they start going to every single game. And by the way, there's another character that's introduced in the movie. And um, this guy's name is George Knox. And you can see him right here on the screen. George is the, the guy on the left. It's Danny Glover, right? He plays the coach. And, and so as, as AP and, and, um, and Roger are going to these games all season long, Roger and coach are starting to really get to know each other. He starts really connecting with Coach and really looking up to him and whatnot. And so finally they get to the very last game. And the Angels win. Oh, and Roger's so excited. Because what's Roger thinking? I get to see my daddy. And so he's excited. And they they go home to the orphanage. And they they go home to to, to be with Maggie, the foster mom, to celebrate the, the Angels winning the pennant. And I want to, I want to show you what happens next. Maggie! We won! Maggie! Sure up Maggie, We won! Oh, no, I heard. Oh, congratulations. The angels yes. won the pennant. It's great. Well done. Oh, Roger, your social worker called. She did? What they want. About my father? No, but it is about finding you a permanent home. <laughs> oh, JP, come back! JP, come back! You know, nothing's probably ever as good as your real parents. But There's some people who could care for you, and love you, and take care of you. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Roger, the person who called social service, that was me. I want to try to be a dad. I want you to come and live in my house. You, you... I, I can't leave JP. I can never leave JP. He's coming too. He is? I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, what about Maggie? No. My work is here. Don't worry. There are plenty of little angels looking for a home. So? So we're going to be a family. Yeah. I'm going to have a daddy. <laughs> I knew it could happen. <laughs> All right. Thank you. God is asking you this morning to come to him and he wants to be your dad. He is a father to the fatherless, and he is a good, good father. And by the way, I loved how they, they uh, brought along J.P. with them too. You can come along, too. And if there's anybody in this room has not come to their father yet, the message is very simple. You can come along, too. Would you stand with me, and would you pray as together we stand and sing?